0: Good morning, church. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 9 this morning as we continue our study on prayer, thinking particularly about confession and repentance. But before we get there, I want to read from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and following. The Apostle Paul writes, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. God, you are Emmanuel, God with us. You're the ever-present, ever-present with us. You, You listen to us and you know us. And it's in times like these that we need to be reminded of your presence. You're sovereign. You're in control, but we often live our lives as though you're not. Our hearts become anxious and our minds restless and we have sinned by not telling the truth about who you are and both how we live and how we respond and how we act. We have not told the truth that you are ever-present and that you are in control. Because this is who you are. This is what you are like. And so we want to confess our sin before you. Because we want you to be honored. So forgive us and remind us once again of your great love for us, that that you are with us, that you are in control. And so this morning, if you would, teach us through your word, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Let me ask you, what comes to your mind when you hear the word confession or repentance? Does it stir up in you feelings of grace and life, or are there more feelings of guilt and heaviness? does it feel more like an invitation to you or more like condemnation? Confession and repentance are essential to life with Jesus, but but what are they really? Confession is to announce what is true and to admit where we have lived contrary to God's commands and His kingdom. In other words, confession is vocalizing our imperfection and God's perfection. And repentance is turning from sin and the root of sin is unbelief so turning from sin and turning to God for forgiveness, healing, and freedom and so God throughout the the Bible continually calls his people to confess and to repent and we see this again and again throughout the prayers in the Bible and we see it particularly in Daniel chapter 9 uh, just to kind of give some background because we're parachuting in because of their disobedience to God, Israel had been driven out of their land, if you if you remember your history. And their temple has been destroyed and many of the family members were killed and, and many were taken into slavery into Babylon, including Daniel when he was a young man. And so they've been in exile. And for nearly 70 years, Daniel has been living in Babylon. And so we see this beginning, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, when we read, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ereus, a descendant of the Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chodeans, which is the Babylonians, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of God to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely the 70 years. And so Daniel has been in Babylon for almost 70 years and he's reading Jeremiah and he's come across likely Jeremiah chapter 25 verses 11 and 12, where it says that the whole land, talking about Jerusalem because of because of their disobedience, God gives his prophecy, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and a desolation And these nations uh, and this nation shall, shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Then after seventy years are completed I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation, and their and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making a land an everlasting waste. And so if you remember your history, God puts to death the king of Babylon, and he hands the kingdom over to the Medes and the Persians. And so Daniel has this in mind. He knows he's been there for 70 years. He's been reading the prophecy of Jeremiah. And he knows that the time is almost up. Daniel knows that God keeps his covenant. He always does. And so he knows that, the, that, that he is going to punish the king of, the, of Babylon. And that he's going to send his people back. Because God has promised that. However, Daniel also knows that this is not an automatic return for God's people. Because he understands the covenant. He understands Leviticus 26 which God spells out the covenant blessings and curses. You see, God warns the people that, uh, that that what would happen if they did not walk in obedience, if they did not walk according to His ways, if they did not live out the covenant nature of being God's people set apart for His purposes. But He also knows from this same chapter of warnings, He also knows what God says in verse forty and 42 he says but if they confess their iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers and in their treachery they, that they have committed against me and also walk contrary to me meaning not walking not in my ways then I will remember the covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land and so Daniel knows that to go home, they must repent. To go home, that they would need to confess their sins before God. And so this is where we are when we come to Daniel chapter 9. We can learn a lot from Daniel about the prayer uh, prayer of confession and repentance. And so as we kind of work through this, uh, I've thought of this acronym that hopefully it's a tool that can be helpful as we think through prayer of confession and repentance. And it's the word pray. Uh, the P is for proclaim R is repent, A is appeal, and the Y is yield. We want to proclaim what is true about God. We want to repent of our sins. We want to appeal to God's mercy. And we want to yield to God's loving assurance. So let's start with the first one. Proclaim what is true about God. Notice here in verse 3 and 4, Daniel begins his prayer. He says, Then I turned... I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made a confession. So he's making a confession. What does he confess? Confess, Saying, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Notice here that Daniel does not, does not start with confessing his sins. Instead, he begins by confessing God's character. Who God is and what He has done. You see, confession begins with God's character in His activity, not ourselves. And this is really important to get because we cannot see and understand the reality of sin apart from a right view of who God is and what he has done. In other words, we won't rightly see and confess our sin until we rightly see and confess who God is. So it starts with proclaiming what is true about God and then moves into repenting of our sin. But what is sin? Paul helps us to see and understand the, the nature of sin in his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the reality, the, the truth, the holiness, the true nature and essence of who God is. And so what Paul is saying is that sin isn't just doing bad things. Sin at deeper level, is believing wrong things about God, which leads to wrong behavior. Sin is believing wrong things about God, which leads to wrong behavior. So sin, then, is anything or any way that we fail to be like God in our thoughts, our motives, our actions, and our words. And there are two ways that we do this, two categorical ways that we do this. The first is by the things that we do. Theologians call this the sin of commission, like the bad behaviors that we engage in. The other category is the things that we don't do, to which they call this sins of omission. Commission and omission. Sins of omission are like the things that we should do, but that we don't. And so we sin in both these ways. We do things that are not like God, and we fail to do things that are like God. And in our action of doing things that are not like God, we commit the sins of commission. And in the ways that we fail to do things that are like God, and we fail to do them, we commit the sins of omission. Ultimately, all sin is against God because all sin is a way of rebelling against Him. Of not telling the truth about what He is like and who He is. By not living our lives in the way that God has intended us for us us to live. So that's the the nature of sin. We're repenting of these ways in which we sin. But look how David describes sin in this prayer. Verse 5 and 6. We have sinned and done wrong. We have acted wickedly, wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants and prophets. Daniel doesn't hide. He doesn't try to shade the truth. He speaks the truth about sin. Verse 8, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings and our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. The end of verse 9, we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his ways, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. Daniel's prayer is full of contrition. He acknowledges that God has every reason not to act. Look at what he says in verse eleven. All Israel has transgressed. Sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the laws of the law of Moses, this is the covenant. The servant of God have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He is. "...confirmed his word, which he spoke against us, and against the rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us great calamity, for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, again referring to the covenant, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities." In gaining insight by his truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity that he has brought upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works of his hand, all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Daniel is saying, God, you're right. We are wrong. You always do what is good, right, and true. Your judgments are correct. We deserve the punishment that we have received. The shame of our land lying desolate. The shame of our city being destroyed. The shame of our temple being decimated. The shame of our people being displaced. It is because we have not listened. It is because we have not believed you. It is because of what we have done. You warned us of the penalty of our sin. And yet we rebelled against you regardless. We deserve this. You are righteous. You see, a bold confession and assurance of pardon based upon who God is and what he has done doesn't just lead us to a right response and confession about our sin, but it is the prerequisite to true and bold confession of our sin. It's the prerequisite. In other words, you will not approach God boldly with true and clear confession of where you have fallen short unless you really, truly, actually believe that He is forgiving. That you actually believe that He is just and merciful. That you truly believe that He is for you and not against you. And this is so important to see. Because right in the midst of his confession, Daniel knows that not only is God just and righteous, but that God is merciful and forgiving. Because God is a covenant-keeping God. He is faithful and committed to His people. And so prayer of confession begins with this proclamation of what is true about God and it moves to this repenting this confessing and this repenting of our sins and then it appeals to God's mercy Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 that it's the kindness of God the kindness of God that leads us to repentance and then in 2 Timothy 2.25 that it's God who grants repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth so you see Admitting our sin is a means of grace. You see, it is God's character that frees you and me to confess. Daniel talks about this in verse 7 and verse 9. He says in verse 7, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, and to us, open shame. Verse 9, To you, O Lord, belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. You see, God wants you to know His mercy. He wants you to experience His forgiveness. He wants you to understand that He is for you and not against you. And so He invites us to confess our sins with this absolute assurance in His character to forgive us for our sins. Why? Because He is merciful and forgiving. And Daniel is so confident in God's mercy and forgiveness that he doesn't just confess his sins. He confesses the sins of Israel. He doesn't just confess with I and me, he confesses with us and we. Over 12 times as you read through the prayer, Daniel identifies himself with Israel in this confession. He doesn't distance himself, he doesn't shift blame, he doesn't try to justify himself, he doesn't say them over there. None of that takes place in this confession. He fully embraces his participation with the sins of Israel. And the reason why he does this is because he knows that he doesn't have to hide, he doesn't have to defend himself, because he has an advocate. He has a defender, and that is God himself. So we can confess these things because our confession does not change who God is at all. God is still loving. God is still gracious and merciful. My behavior does not change who he is. But... My lack of behavior requires me to confess who He is. God is immeasurably gracious in showing me all of my brokenness and sins, so that I might boast in Him. So that I might have confidence, not in my behavior or my own righteousness, but in Him. So my confidence in my confession must be based not on me, but on Him. Based upon His character and so Daniel starts this confession by talking about who God is and what he has done over and over again Daniel, we see this in Daniel 9 God you are this, God you have done that and we have sinned. consider how confession would go differently if we started with God if we really believed that confession doesn't begin with us but it begins by confessing what is true about God, about what he is who he is and what he has done how would that shape and change our confessing and our motivation and why we confess? You see, Daniel doesn't just frame up his confession with who God is and what he has done so that he might rightly understand the nature of sin, but he also frames it up so that he might rightly understand the nature of a God who you can approach with boldness when you sin. Verse 15, And now, O Lord, our God, who brought you brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as in this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly so he he, he resorts back to the past mercies of God Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among those around us. Verse 17, Now therefore, now therefore, O Lord our God, listen to the prayer of your servant And is pleased for mercy for your own sake. O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear to hear. Open your eyes to see our desolation in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. We have none. But because of your great mercy. O Lord, Hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your name's sake. Oh my God, because of your city and your people who are called by your name. Notice that Daniel, what Daniel doesn't do, he doesn't say, God, we're trying our hardest. We're trying our best. We're really trying this time. Would you just help us for our sake? So that we can go back to our land, so that we can go back to our home, so that we can have our dignity back so that we can build the lives that we've always really wanted no, Daniel doesn't appeal to himself at all, he appeals to God he says for your own sake for the city called by your name, for the people who are called by your name you see we don't confess so that we might get something, we confess so that God gets something, our confess confessing is about him Confession is not about us, it's about God. It's about His renown, it's about His fame, it's about His name. It's about telling what is true about God. But, I mean, doesn't confession, how does how does confessing all of our mess, all the ways that we have fallen short, how does that glorify God? It's because in our confessing, when we tell the truth about how we have fallen short by doing that we're showing what God is like we're making much of God we're making him look good so let us boast in our weakness let's not pretend like we have it all 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 together the world does not need a facade what they need is a confessing people a people who will not shrink back in shame and fear but will say how great our God is and how greatly in need we are of His mercy and of His grace. What if we invited people into that? So we, in our confessing, we want to proclaim what is true about God and we want, to, uh, we want to repent of our sin and speak what is true about our sin. And we want to appeal to God's mercy and we want to yield to God's loving assurance. Notice here how quickly God responds to uh, Daniel when Daniel prays. Look at verse 20. He says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my of my people Israel, and presenting my pleas before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking, says it there for the sake of time, while I was... Uh, speaking in prayer the man Gabriel whom I have seen in a vision at at the first came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice don't you love how immediate God responds to Daniel's humility some of you might be saying but what if I acknowledge how broken I really am what if I acknowledge how much I have fallen short will God reject me Is my confessing going to be enough because of my sinning? And I want to say to you, no, no. God responds immediately to a broken and contrite heart. God responds immediately, swiftly. He responded. And God responds affectionately. 22. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas of mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell you what it is, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Before we get to the word and the vision, I just want to pause there for just a moment. As soon as Daniel cries out for mercy, what does he hear? You are greatly loved. This is where it starts. As soon as Daniel acknowledges that he is in desperate need of God's mercy, he gets love. God responds. The response to Daniel is not shaming condemnation. He doesn't pile on more guilt. He doesn't come with raging anger. Family, God loves you. He is full of mercy and of grace and of love. And he responds to a broken and contrite heart swiftly and affectionately. And he also responds faithfully. Look at verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy hill. Now, there's some uh, prophecy going on here, but what I want you to understand here about God responding faithfully is that God is faithful to keep His promise, and that God gives a better promise. And I want to see us to see that briefly. So He talks about the seventy weeks. Now, there's numerology and prophecy. I'm not going to go into all of that, but I want to say this because I think it's important. The summation of the 70 weeks means 70 sevens. The number seven is the number for completion in the Bible. The number 10 is the number for uh, perfection in the Bible. So seven times 10 equals 70, which is the number of complete completion and perfection. And then he times this by seven, 70 times seven, which is 490. That's what the numerology is there. Now think about this for a second. Where do we hear uh, how many times we're to forgive somebody? You remember when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive somebody? And Jesus answers Peter, 70 times 7. What is that? That's 490. What does that mean? Well, Jesus isn't saying that uh, that you keep count and once you reach 491, you're done. You can wash your hands and move on and go on down the road. That's not what he's saying at all. 490 is a number of perfect completion. It is unending supply of grace. It is a picture of God's ability to bring to fullness of time his perfect work. To yield To God's loving assurance, We, we yield to God's loving assurance because He will bring a perfected completion to the work that He is doing. We yield to His loving assurance in our confession because in our confession, we're talking about who God is and that He is going to bring a completed, perfected, completed work to what He is doing in our life. But the prophecy goes on. Verse 24... So the 70 weeks are decreed about the people of the holy city to finish the transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for the iniquity, to bring about an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. Do you have any idea what he is talking about here? See, Gabriel goes on and divides this this time into three different periods. And again, this is what I want you to see that God responds faithfully he responds by working and bringing to fullness of time his perfected completion in our life but secondly God responds faithfully in keeping his promises and secondly God responds faithfully in keeping or giving a better promise let's look at the fact that God keeps his promise verse 25 know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one a, a A prince, uh, there shall be seven weeks, meaning a relatively short period of time. So Daniel prays God's word back to him. That's what he's doing. He prays the promise that God made through Jeremiah the prophet that it would be fulfilled. And God keeps his promise. It's important to understand. He keeps his promise. He always keeps his promise. And so the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem was a decree that went out from uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia. God stirred up his heart. This pagan king, he stirred up his heart. And in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, he sends the people of uh, Israel back, uh, Israelites back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the temple. So God does this. And so Daniel responds, prayed in response to God's word for what God had promised and for what he knew was God's will. Because God is faithful in his past mercies to deliver his people out of Egypt, Daniel has full assurance that God will be faithful to his people now. And so we yield to God's loving assurance by believing what he says is true. By believing that what he promises he will do. In other words, it is his word that shapes our praying. 25 goes on. And then for 62 weeks it shall be built again in the squares and the moats, but but a troubled time. And so most scholars here believe that it's a longer period of time that takes place from the rebuilding of the stage to the day that Jesus comes, or the day of Jesus. Uh, and it is a time where there's great suffering under various rulers and nations, uh, all culminating with Roman occupation. But let's let's move on. So the first thing I want you to see is that God is faithful to his promise. We see that in what Daniel was talking about there. But secondly, God is faithful in giving a better promise. Verse 26, Then after the 62 weeks, the anointed one shall be cut off and having nothing. Who might that be? Don't you love here that God's answer to Daniel's prayer is Jesus? The anointed one shall be cut off having nothing. This is a clear prediction of the coming of Jesus and his crucifixion. God is faithful in giving a better promise. Isaiah 53.8 tells us that he will be cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. You see, Jesus lost everything for you and me. He was stripped naked, rejected by his friends and his companions. He was abandoned and left alone. He hung on the cross for our sins, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 26. And the people and, and, uh, and the people uh, shall be destroyed in the city and the sanctuary, We're referring to Titus and the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Verse 26 continues on, "Its end shall come with a flood, and the end shall, uh, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed." And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half a week he shall, be, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out onto the desolator. If the beginning of the one week is Jesus' birth and his life, then the middle of the week, this half week, is when the anointed one is cut off by his crucifixion. He makes a strong covenant with many. Do you remember the night that Jesus was, before he was crucified? When he was sharing a mill, the Passover meal with his disciples, this remembrance meal of God delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt so that they might be set apart as a people for his glory. And every time they they. Engage in this mill They're retelling the story of God About God as the redeemer And the rescuer And every time they retell the story It's an invitation for the nations to come in It's a constant reminder Of God's sovereign ability to, to deliver them out of the worst situations And this is how they make much of God Through this mill And now Jesus at this Passover Says that this is my mill He takes this old covenant And he makes the new covenant A stronger covenant A better promise and this better promise, he says, is my blood. It's made with my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so he takes what was a remembrance of God delivering them out of Egypt, and now he calls them to remember him as the one who delivers them from sin and death and when Jesus died the temple veil, the dividing wall was torn in two God ripped it open as a way that the many might come in in direct communication with the God who forgives with the God who saves with the God who redeems with the God who delivers with the God who restores the broken And the writer of Hebrews said that Jesus offered once for all time the sacrifice for sins. So that there would never be any other need for any other sacrifice ever again for you and for me. And we have free access to God on a daily basis for our need. Jesus made the way for us to go directly to God with bold assurance because of God's love for us. We don't need any other mediator because Jesus is the one and only mediator between God and man. Jesus is the better promise. God, we are so thankful that you made a way for us to come boldly without fear. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You have made us pure and holy before you so that that we do not ever need to be afraid or ashamed to approach you ever again. Church, isn't that good news? You don't have to walk in fear and guilt and shame as though God is against you. Jesus says, I did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we're still in the end. We're in the second half of this week, are we not? and so there is coming a day when God will finally and forever make all things new even creation and we know this because of what we see in the book of Revelation this new Jerusalem coming down a holy city prepared by God like a bride uh, beautifully adorned for her husband and so we long for that day where this already not yet Jesus is already accomplished but it has not yet fully been realized and it's coming a day when that will take place so what do we do until that day We ask God, will you help us be a picture, a foretaste of that new Jerusalem? The Jerusalem that is meant to be a place where where the nations could come and they could see that what life with God was really like and how relationship with God could be restored. It was meant to be where everything that is is ought to be, and where everything between us and God is made right. Church, that is us today. And as we look forward to this future Jerusalem, we live a life now longing for that day. And we ask God to help us to be a picture of what He is like before the world. That He would forgive us in all the ways in which we have fallen short. And we, we start by confessing who He is, not us. Because it is about Him and not about us. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 10, the word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because, you, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, notice he doesn't start with sin, he starts with Jesus. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for as with the heart the one believes and is justified as with the mouth the one confesses and is saved for the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame is that your confession family? will you confess Jesus is Lord that he is my God that I, he is the one that I yield to the one that I serve and God raised Jesus from the dead so that I can say boldly and out loud that sin and Satan itself will not have victory because Jesus will if we confess our sins to him He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness family my desire and my prayer for us today is that God that we ask God, we confess that He is good and that He has done good things and that we have fallen short of showing the world what He is like. And so in His mercy and grace, we ask You, Lord, that You would be good to us once more and that You would remind us that we are forgiven and that You would make us a good people before the world. And so I want to encourage you just to take a few moments and to confess confess who God is and what he has done and how you have fallen short with full assurance that in Christ Jesus you will receive forgiveness Father you are great and awesome God full of mercy and loving kindness full of grace and ready to forgive eager to accept the heart that is broken contrived before you. So we come with humble hearts saying, receive us, forgive us, heal us, change us, for your name's sake, for the sake of our cities and our town, and even for the good of our own lives, we pray this in Jesus' name. Well, church, I want to just uh, encourage you we've given you some additional resources uh, there's some questions for further reflection and application so we want to encourage you to work through this uh, by yourself as you work through prayer and uh, confession and repentance but also we want you to work through this as uh, with your family, uh, in your DNA groups, your missional uh, community groups, uh, use this resource as you begin to practice this pattern and this lifestyle of confession and repentance